Rob, thank you for that intro. You're too kind. I was just sitting there going, uh, one of my favorite memories that Rob told me is uh, when he when he worked with my dad, Ross Foley, dad would come into his office every Friday and say, Rob, I just really appreciate what you're doing. And while that made Rob feel good, he would think, I don't think he has a clue what I'm doing. <laughs> and I, I just come out of that similar heartbeat. I don't have a clue what you're doing, but I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you, and I'm excited to be here with you today. I don't know if you guys have seen some of these images, uh, the Syrian refugees. Uh, this is where they're coming on the boats to uh, one of the Greece islands. And uh, you can see them streaming into Europe, right? I mean, I've seen the Samaritan's Purse video where these, these volunteers, these strangers are there, and moms are handing babies over to them to, to get safely onto shore. And, and not everyone makes it. And, and it, it tears at your heart to see these thousands upon thousands streaming into Europe. And they're knocking on our doors. And for the first time since 9-11, our doors are being opened to, to world refugees uh, on a larger scale. And restoration, we live in a broken, in a hurting, in a hostile world. And, and how do we live out our faith in a hostile world. The religious landscape is drastically changing. There's dramatic changes to, to religious freedoms. And I'm, I'm so excited for you as you start this series. I think it's, a, it's such a season to start the series, uh, Faith in a Hostile World. And it's just easy. It's easy to become fearful. I think on the whole, the predominant feeling and evangelical American Christianity is one of fear with this, with this changing landscape. And yet, I believe, rather than fear and, and mourning these great challenges, I believe God is calling us to shift our focus and to see the time before us as an opportunity to let faith come alive. And so our, our big idea today is really trying to ask that question, how do we to live out our faith in a hostile world? And I believe that we need to seize the opportunity to do good and to give glory to God like never before. And in order to do that, I, I believe God wants us to, to do three things. To live in to the gift of faith, to live into the gift of holiness, and to live into the gift of service. So would you pray with me as we, as we start this morning? Heavenly Father, just thank you for your presence here. Jesus, you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. And as we try and to make faith come alive, if, as we try and make sense of this, as I try and speak your word, we can't do this without you, Jesus. You're the author and the perfecter of our faith. You are a mystery, but you are our wisdom. So come and, and, and ignite faith. Come and ignite hearts. Open our minds that we can see you. Give us Jesus. That's what we need today. Lord, just be in here. Be glorified. We thank you. We praise you. We lean into you in Jesus' name. Amen. So our scripture for today comes from 1 Peter 2, 9 to 12. And this is uh, in the NIV. Follow along if, if you have that or not. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And so we want to live into the gift of faith. And the, the problem is, is that when life is going fairly well, all right, when we are fairly comfortable, when life is going well, we don't, we don't live as dependently on God as perhaps we should. The problem, we, we depend on ourselves. And I think one of, uh, one of the subtle ways that this uh, works its way out is in our busyness. And, and, and busyness is, is predominant in our culture. In my new role at the Union Gospel Mission, I'm a, a community networking pastor, and so I just get to be a pastor to pastors. And, and Pastor Rob's going to come down and take a tour of the mission. I'll share more of what we're doing there later. But I, I just hear this heartbeat. People are so busy. I was hearing about a radio program that was saying, you know, this is just so pervasive, it comes to the front of our conversations now. We don't do the proverbial, hi, how are you doing? We're just like, hi, man, I'm busy. Oh, yeah, man, I'm busy. See, the problem with that is it makes it all about us. And when it raises to that level, it, it, there's a badge of honor in our busyness. We're putting the focus on us. We're putting that pride in us, and that's a dangerous thing. We all struggle with all the things on our plate. We struggle with our identity with our purpose. But when we make it about us, we depend on ourselves and we live out of this finite reality that we have as human beings. We live out of this reality of our human strength and our human patience. Rather than being called to live lives of faith, to die to ourselves, we can live into Christ's infinite love and infinite power and grace. We're called to live lives of faith. We're called to be people of faith. But what does that practically mean? How do we do that? This summer, I had uh, one of the most stretching faith experiences of my life. We, uh, we had kind of ended our co-lead, pastoral leadership, in the beginning of, of this year. And I was staying on temporarily, and in May... At the end of a service, I clearly heard this word from God, go. He didn't give a lot of instructions, okay? He just said, go. I'm like, God, you already did this with Abraham. You don't have to do it with me. And one of our prayer warriors prayed with me at the end of service, and she said, God, you have something bigger for John. And there was comfort in that, but it was, it was scary. And there was a ministry that was pursuing me, and I was really thinking this was the answer. This was a, a ministry that does prayer and freedom in, in Africa among war-torn nations and tribes, and they wanted to kind of bring the model here in the U.S. And I'd been on a retreat, and amazing freedom, amazing prayer had happened on this retreat. And at 
it was at the end of July that God shut the door on this ministry. And I was like, okay. That was hard. Uh, the beginning of August, our family did not have a house a month away in the fall or a job. That's hard to live into faith when you're facing some of those kind of realities. It's hard to feel good about yourself as the man of the house or I'm supposed to be the provider, right? Um, that, was, that was a struggle. But it was in that time, it was in that time that God brought me Andrew Murray in the book Absolute Surrender, and this definition of faith rocked my world. He says, faith is, first of all, utter helplessness. It's a, it's a great humility. Faith is not about how strong our faith is. The power of our faith is in the object of our faith. It's in God. And so faith is utter helplessness. It's like, God, it's not about me, but I'm, I'm just coming to you who has all faith for me and for whatever. It's utter helplessness. Secondly, it's resting in God's word. It's coming to his word. It's coming to his promises and just saying, God, you've said this. I'm going to rest in this. It doesn't mean that we're not sowing seeds. It doesn't mean that we're not making our plans or being responsible, but we're taking God at his word. We're saying, God, I'm going to rest in your word. I'm going to rest in your promise. And finally, faith is fellowship with God. God never separates himself or his presence when we come into that word. And when we, we step into the, the resting of that word, God's presence is there. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Faith is not a concept. It's a living reality. It's God himself. Faith is not a good intellectual understanding. And I think that's what I discovered this the summer as I wrestled with that, as a pastor, right, as a, as a long-time Christian, is like I think my faith was kind of a conceptual thing. And God's saying, no, live into these realities. Live, humbly say, it's not about you, it's about me. Rest in my word and then enjoy my presence. You see, this is what we call substantive faith. And what's the substance of faith? It's Jesus himself. It's Jesus himself. Love is a person. It's Jesus. It's God. God is love. First John, greatest definition of love. God is love. And faith is a person. It's Jesus. As we lean into that, we receive more of him. That's where faith comes alive. We sense his presence. We stand on the word. We stand on that truth. And we grow into that. God is using this time. He's using this time in our nation to shake our faith so that what's false will go away and what's true will remain. And that's going to be the presence of Jesus. And as we read in that scripture, people are going to see our good deeds and they're going to glorify God because they're going to see Jesus. Everything else, those Sunday school answers, Sunday school's good, okay? Those conceptual things, yeah, we got to build on those, but it's the presence of Jesus that comes in that builds up our faith. I love how God uses situations in our life to, to radically challenge us and to grow us in faith. And my youngest daughter's name is Faith. And uh, we have a phrase with Faith. Um, God turns hard things to good. 
It's kind of a variation of Romans 8, 28, that uh, God does good for those who love him, right? And, and her, her kindergarten, her first grade year were really hard, were really hard. And she would come home from school and she'd say, Daddy, did you pray for me today? i say, yeah, I did, Faith. And then she'd do the sticker. She'd say, how many times did you pray for me? <laughs> God used that. God used that, that challenge in the heart to get me, Pastor John, checking in with Jesus a few more times a day. I'm not on the spiritual plane of my wife, you know, who's just always having a conversation with Jesus. But that, that, that was a blessing, right? To just quickly, quickly, God, I just want to submit to you. I just want to praise you. Thank you for your goodness. Would you bless Aaron? Would you bless Gabby? Would you bless Josh? Would you bless Faith today? My PR is 15, so try and beat that, okay? You can, you can set a Jesus alarm, right, on your phone. I mean, come on. There's so many easy ways that we can. The Bible, we've lost this art of meditation, right? Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one, right, who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. It means a checking in, a coming back to it, a being in his word. And how am I going to come back to that word? I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to think about it. That's not just an Eastern mysticism thing. That's in the word of God. To meditate, to come back to. And do spiritual breathing, right? Just a simple thing, just breathing out, kind of a confessional. Lord, have mercy. Breathing in. Christ, have mercy. I need you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm just confessing and just out with, with my dependence and in with more of you. Just want to check in with you. Just want a little more of you today. Peter describes our identity as these people of faith. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I love what Peter's doing here. He's writing to, to predominantly the Jewish Christians. And these people would have known where he was referring to. He was referring to the first time that God spoke to the people of Israel. When Moses has brought the people out of Egypt and they're at Mount Sinai. In Exodus 19, God, for the first time, speaks to the whole people of Israel. And he says, you are this people. You are a kingdom of priests. We're all supposed to be, right? A priesthood of all believers. That's a central foundational belief of, of our evangelical faith. It's not just Pastor Rob. It's supposed to represent God to you and to this community. We are all supposed to be a kingdom of priests representing him. I love this. We are God's special possession. I love it better in Exodus. He says, you are my treasured possession. Oh, how many know that right here? You're God's treasured possession. That's the way he thinks about you. I was with a, a buddy of mine, and he said he had a picture of God laughing at him and kind of condemning him for his foolish choices. And a few of us around said, whoa, 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 that's not of God. Let's go to Scripture and let's, let's see what's truth. And we contrasted that with images that God 
says. He says we're his treasured possession. And with this amazing calling, this purpose as a priesthood of all believers, we're called to tell people how great we are. No. We're called to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's not a focus on us. It's an amazing calling. It's an amazing identity of who we are as a holy nation, as a people belonging to him to declare his greatness. In his book, The Rise of Christianity, Rodney Stark describes times in history when Christianity grew more than ever. The Roman Empire in the times of Nero were immoral, filthy, dangerous, and it was an ungodly environment. And at the beginning of the time of of the beginning of the church, the church was seemingly an insignificant threat. And yet Christians in Rome were set apart. They lived for Christ. They set out to represent him, the presence of Jesus to their world. And by A.D. 50, Christians were the majorities as pagans saw their good deeds and glorified God. Romans were throwing baby girls into the river and Christians were hiding in the weeds and saving those baby girls and taking them home as their own. In times of plagues, Christians were going in to the disease. They were the only ones going in there because their citizenship wasn't there. It was in heaven. And they were so full of Jesus. Their faith was so full of Jesus that they went in. And the world saw their good deeds. What did they see? They saw Jesus. And they glorified God. That's not humanly possible. So it's time again, church, for faith to come alive, to live into this gift of real faith. And secondly, to live into the gift of holiness. Read a great book this summer uh, by John Bevere, Good or God. Phenomenal book on uh, the need for discernment in these times of discerning between what is good and what is God. Because Satan uses what's good. It's a need to discern the things of God. And he, uh, he gave this fascinating study on American Christianity. And, and the vast majority of Christians that took the survey, they could tell you what the, the predominant uh, understanding of grace is, of, of salvific grace, that we're saved by God's grace and not our works. But catch this, only 2% of all the people surveyed knew about a fuller picture of grace that there's what we call a sanctifying grace or an empowering grace that leads to holiness. That says something about our American Christianity. We've got the main part right, but we're leaving out this piece that we're called to holiness. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 3 Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Rob, you, you read that this morning. Grace and peace are meant to lead us to a holiness, to everything we need for life and for godliness. 
And this is, uh, this is a common theme as you read New Testament authors. They're saying, hey, be holy as your Father is holy. Now, we're not taken away from, from the gift of holiness. That's a free gift of God. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus because he died on the cross, and we can't earn that, all right? He is our righteousness. He is our holiness. He is everything that is good, and he imparts that to us. He gives that to us freely if we accept him as Lord and Savior. But there is an element that says, walk in this holiness. Practice this. And why do we do that? Because the scripture says, without holiness, we won't see God. And it also means without holiness in us, the world will only see a form of godliness, but deny its power. And so there's that need. Do you hear Peter's urgency in our text today? Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. There's an urgency to walk in this because of the gift you've been given, to walk in this, to discover this, because without it, we won't see the the manifest presence of God. A, a close cousin to holiness is unity. And God's number one desire is that we would be united, right? Jesus prays that in his priestly prayer in John 17. Father, I pray that they may be one as we are one so the world will know your love. And there's an illustration that Andrew Murray uses. We are so satisfied with our disunity that we're supposed to be this whole cup, but we're a broken cup, and so we're taking pieces of cup, just taking little shards of the pottery and trying to pick up water and feed ourselves or feed others, rather than being a whole cup as the church. Surrendering to him and being filled with his holiness, being filled with the presence of Jesus. It's a gift and it's a calling to walk in that. I love this verse, 1 Timothy 2, 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, ready for every good work. God impressed this verse on my heart this fall as I, as I start my new ministry with the mission that this is what I want to live into for this year. And I love this promise that anyone, right, that just does this simple pattern of, hey, cleanse me, Lord. I want to be a vessel for honorable use. Anyone who cleanses himself from what is dishonorable can do this and receive the good works that God has for us. How many believe that God has good works just for you that he set before the beginning of time? How many get so excited when God does a divine encounter and you know it was God that arranged that. There is nothing like that. And that's what this, this verse is saying. Hey, if, if you'll set apart yourself, if you'll cleanse yourself, that you can be a vessel filled with God, filled with God, and the world can see the good deed and glorify God. I was praying this prayer and I was just asking God, show me how you want me to be 
a vessel, just ready to pour out whenever. And I felt a little prompting to go on a prayer walk at my job in, in downtown St. Paul, and, and they let us do that at our work. They let us talk about Jesus. It's kind of cool. And so I took this little prayer walk, and I came back in the lobby, and there was a woman who was in there, and the lady at the front desk said, Pastor John, do you know of any ministries that could help this woman out? She's homeless. She's, this is a Friday. She's having a baby on Monday and needs a place for her kids. And God kind of prompted ways, like Bethany Substead works with safe families and was able to make this connection. She didn't utilize that, but I, I went up to this woman and I just felt, I said, where are you having your baby? And she told me the hospital. I said, it's a good hospital. And I felt led to give her my dad's life verse, which is Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven: The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are his everlasting arms. I said, you're in good hands. And I said, underneath you, is the eternal God who loves you. And these tears just came down her face. You know, a Monday morning was the day she was having her baby, and I look in Jesus calling. You know what the verse was? Deuteronomy 33, 27. And, and Beatrice at the front desk we said, isn't God good? That shouldn't have happened. He arranged that divine counter. And we don't know what happened with that woman, but we were able to pray for her. We were able to plant that seed. There's a guy, Larry, who's a discipleship student who was homeless, who loves the word of God. And I shouldn't have been where I was in the mission the day I got to meet him. And one of the chaplains said, Larry loves the word of God. And we're praying. And, well, he's, he's sharing and he's just saying, I'm worried about the next step. I'm worried about going back out there again. And he said, would you pray for me? And you know, most people say that, hey, pray for me, right? And you go, yeah, yeah, I will. And do you pray for him? I was convicted of that once. So I try and pray for him right then if I can. And I said, can we pray right now? And I prayed for Larry. And he said, John, those were not words from you. Those were words that I was asking from my Heavenly Father. And I was, I was giving a tour, and one of the pastors saw him. And he said, John, when you prayed, there was a peace that came upon me, and that peace hasn't left for a couple weeks. To be in the presence of Jesus... And to see Jesus come through, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Well, how is it going? Let's, let's just bring it on home. How is it going trying to be holy in our homes? If you're married, how is it going having a holy marriage? Ooh, pastor, did you have to go there? I remember one time that Aaron and I were having a discussion. It's not a discussion. We were having a fight. And I'm an early riser, so I'm like, hey, don't go there. We can talk about that tomorrow. It's like, I got to get my sleep. I'm an early riser. And I went to bed, and, and just something prompted me to pray. And I said, okay, we're both, we're both at fault here. But I just prayed in the name of Jesus spirit of disunity, you need to leave my house right now. And I kid you not, 30 seconds later, Aaron comes into the bedroom. John, I'm sorry. Now, I'm just as at fault as she is, but that was a blessing. It doesn't always happen like that. Uh, Pastor Roger Thompson, longtime pastor at Berean 
Baptist does uh, Man in the Mirror Ministries, and, and Rob and I get to pray sometimes with him and other pastors on Thursdays, and he handed out these cards, and this is a prayer I've been praying uh, with my wife, praying this for 21 days. Father, I said, till death do us part, I want to mean it. Help me love you more than her, and her more than anyone or anything else. Help me bring her into your presence today. Make us one like you are three in one. I want to hear her, cherish her, and serve her so she would love you more, and we can bring you glory. Amen. Marriage and life in Christ is not about our selfish desires. It's about giving glory to God and advancing the good of others. It's a holy endeavor. And if we surrender ourselves and we come to him, his presence can come in. That's what he wants to do in our personal lives. That's what he wants to do in our homes. That's what he wants to do in his church. It's really a simple formula, folks. Jesus' first words, public words, were repent and believe the kingdom of God is near. Repent, surrender, stop trying to do it on your own and believe this active word of faith. Receive Jesus. This is the bare minimum stuff of repenting and walking with him and trying to find life in him and trying to check back with him and I can't do this. I can't live a holy life. God, you're going to have to show me how. Living into the gift of faith. Living into the gift of holiness. And finally, we live into the gift of service. I love the scripture in 1 John 4.12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This word complete is telos. It means to the end. And it's the same word that Jesus uses in John 13, his, his final time with the disciples before he goes to the cross. And Jesus gets down on his knees to wash the disciples' feet. And it says, having come to his end, he loved them to the end. Do you, do you want Jesus to love you to the end? That's amazing. To the completion we find it in service. I was preaching this text in the Dakota County Jail, and I want to tell you it was such a joy. And it's intimidating to walk up and to, to greet the inmates there. But I asked this question, have you come to the end of yourself so you can receive the end, the fullness, the completion of God's love for you? And I want to tell you about the hunger in that room. Because guys had come to the end of themselves. Now, let me tell you how many people came forward for prayer. A huge percentage because they were broken because their faith was utterly helpless in themselves and they knew they needed Jesus. They say, I want that. I want that end. I want that fullness. And what a promise is if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It's really pretty simple. And yet so hard. Faith and holiness and service is coming to see Jesus. And we not only serve God so we can, we can be complete in us, 
so we can see Jesus. I want to tell you there's a good selfish part of it. We serve because there's some aspect that we get to see Jesus in the least of these. Matthew 25 is this wonderful passage about when you visit the prisoner, when you care for the sick, when you clothe the naked, when you feed the hungry, you do it to me. Who doesn't want some Jesus like that? And God, in my final time at faith, he was stirring in my heart these kind of experiences. I was finding him ways I had not found him before. I was finding him ways... There was a woman dying of cancer, being in the hospital and going to pray. They had a loose connection to the church and going there. Jesus just came down in the hospital room. And she died two weeks later, but she was testifying to people that day. God took her pain away. She had no more pain after that. And I got to meet Jesus in there. In the jail. Man, I was meeting Jesus. Loving these guys. There was a woman who came and got baptized and she had had a hard life. But God brought her to the church and, and, and she would check in and I got to connect her with another covenant church. Hard life, but every time we would pray, she would experience Jesus. And there was one time just praying over the phone, driving down the road, the love of God just filled that car. The love that God had for Josephine just filled that car. I'm like, whoa, God, your love. I'm getting to meet you in the broken, in the sick, in the prisoners. That's why we live into the gift of service. Because we get a little more of Jesus You know, um, God led me on an amazing journey. And he did some amazing things to put me where I am now. And it was such a blessing. And I sat in an interview with three people. And one of them knew me from way back. Another one had a buddy that spoke highly. And then another one was like, oh, yeah, I used to go to your dad's church. I was like, this is just not fair. And that was a real blessing, right, to know that God was arranging that but it was even more a blessing that a week before the job interview, Josephine called. And she said, Pastor John, do you have a job yet? The Holy Spirit has been having me pray for you. Whoa. To go to the place, the Union Gospel Mission, for 113 years, they have been loving the poor, the addicted, the homeless. They've been changing lives by the power of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that for 113 years, every night, there's been a gospel service at the Union Gospel Mission? And people are coming to Jesus because they've come to the end of themselves. And they get to receive the end, the completion, the fullness of Jesus. I love serving Jesus, and I love how patient he is because for so long, I'm like, oh, I don't have time to do that. I'm doing enough. I love what you're doing here. I love the service you're doing. And I just want to give you a, an opportunity. We got Pastor Rob and I talked about this. 
this Thanksgiving, 10,000 bags are going out across Minneapolis and St. Paul. 10,000 Thanksgiving bags. And what I've learned at the mission is it all starts with a meal. The mission of, of the Union Gospel Mission is about freed men, not freed light, not free meals. It's freeing men and women from addiction, from, from abuse, from homelessness. 10,000 bags are going out at Thanksgiving, and it all starts with a meal. And so we've asked, hey, would, would restoration take 30 bags, and for about $7 you can go home and fill this bag, and then the mission puts five-pound bag of potatoes and a, and a turkey in there. And you can even uh, email me, or we'll have links if you want to come and just <laughs> get a little taste of, of Jesus at the mission. You can be a part of distributing those bags or... Some Wednesday night groups can come down late afternoon and evening and redistribute all those bags. Or you can be a part of the time when they hand them out. And we can give those links. But I want to I challenge you, okay, to take a bag and to, to fill that and to bring it back next Sunday. And we'll come in. You are doing mission here, but we're called to mission here. And we're called to our region. And we're called to the world. To experience Jesus and to live Jesus. If you think back to that picture, if you think back to those refugees, who restoration is God bringing to your door? And who is he calling you? What door is he calling you to cross the street and to do something in the love of Jesus? I want to challenge you to take one step. And maybe it's two sides of the coin. Maybe it's I want to take one step of faith, one step of holiness, and, and I want to just do one thing. Filling a bag, I want to do one thing to serve and to experience more of Jesus. Let's pray and just ask God to put that on your heart. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you. Lord, where would we be without you? And Father, we ask that you would stir up faith. I ask in the name of Jesus that you would impart a gift of faith to believe you, to to be rid of uh, the self. And it, Lord, there's no shame here. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We just want to come to the cross, Lord, where you invite us all and receive your forgiveness and receive your holiness. And God, we want to walk in that. And we want to declare to the world the praises of you who have brought us out of darkness into your wonderful light. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you impress upon us just one thing we can do one way we can step out in faith. And Lord, we can experience you and we can bring you, Jesus, to a hurting world. Stir up these gifts of faith. Stir up this excitement to be filled with you and to share you with the world. We just thank you and praise you. We're, we're going to rest on your word today, God, that you're going to do it. And we're going to look for fellowship with you. I just thank you and praise you for what you are doing, for what you have done, for every good deed that you have planned for everyone here that you will show them and bring to their door this week. In Jesus' name, amen.